Greetings, Wargamers. We're your hosts, Trevor, Jay, Josh, and this is... Shannon Attack. Attack. is sponsored by Discount Games Incorporated. Discount Games Incorporated specializes in customer service, low prices, and prompt shipping. You can find our web store at www.discountgamesinc.com. Welcome to Chain Attack. I'm your host, Trevor, and uh, I'm trying to play for the... This is a... a uh, I should admit this, but I'm playing through Mass Effect 2 for the very first time. Um, I mean, I don't think that... I'm Josh. I don't think that's as bad as admitting that you've never watched Avatar, the James Cameron. Uh, who's, who was who that? Arrowat? Himself. Me. He hasn't, he's never yeah. seen... James Cameron Avatar. Okay. We we are we are a failure as a nerd podcast. I'm just gonna say that right now. (laughs) Um, like I I don't even remember which Mass Mass Effect it was I played some of, but like not that this will surprise anyone. But I'm Jay, (laughs) and uh, I I don't get what the big deal was with Mass Effect. (laughs) Really? You kind of just bounced off of it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. I'm assuming Met? it was the first-person shooter elements that you bounced off of. Because um, the R- that didn't help, yeah. The RPG elements of it are, are quite good, yeah. I mean, I, and the world and the art, I think, is pretty rad, in my opinion. But not that it isn't, you know, just a conglomeration of sci-fi tropes. Look, I'm here for the tropes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think I better get a t-shirt that says that. I'm Josh, and I'm here for the tropes. I, I will admit that I, when I went back to Mass Effect 1, um, that I just turned it to its easiest setting just to get through the story because the gameplay was not compelling. It was, it did not, it was not exciting. The gameplay got a little better in Mass Effect 2, I will admit that part. Um, but truthfully, I'm playing it mostly because, um, I don't want to turn in my nerd card. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Josh, you you're not only here for the tropes, you're also here for the shilling. So yes. these muscles have atrophied, let's build them back up. <laughs> uh I assume that I should be shilling about joining the Patreon to support Chain Attack Grading Geekery. Yes. Come partake of one of the three amazing reward tiers. Uh you can sign on at the lowest tier and Always receive the bonus episode a week early. I always not just see... the bonus episode, both episodes. That's right, both episodes a week early. Uh, you can sign on to be a member of the brigade, the second tier, where you will get uh, the early episodes. You will also get to participate in the my new favorite Discord, uh, which is the Chain Attack Grading Geekery Discord, where we talk about a whole slew of topics. Um, and you can also be entered in a drawing for a monthly prize selected by your chain attack hosts. Or finally, no one's taken the bait yet. 
sign on for the highest tier and uh, participate in a game night with the Chain Attack, a member of the Chain Attack crew once a year, which sadly feels like the number of game nights that I have in my real life anyway. <laughs> These days. <laughs> once a year. I disapprove, Josh. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I approve. But yes, come join us on the Patreon. We uh, deeply value our listeners, and uh, there you go. That's my shill. Okay, well, uh, the, well, I think you forgot one brigade benefit as well, where for every 15 brigade members, we send them out a physical item, or or it could be a digital item, I guess, but uh, signed, etc. And so that's right. Sky's the limit. Yes, that's right. we're, digital we're or to, physical. That's right. We're gonna buy uh, signature certificates each, and we will digitally ah. sign your digital item. Man, I would digitally sign a copy of Cultist Simulator if I could figure out a way how. <laughs> um, check out discountgamesinc.com and Muse on Minis for your gaming needs, and you know we'd love to hook you up. Uh, the new edition of 40K is coming up, and uh, it's been a while since I mentioned this, but shoot me an email at j at discountgamesinc.com for details on how you can... Uh, save even more money on Game Workshop products. So, um, we're going to talk today about um, a role-playing system that uh, is... I, I haven't played a ton of it, although really uh, it, it feels like I've played a lot of games that are derivative of this system, and, and that's the Call of Cthulhu system. And, and may, Trevor, I guess maybe you can Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it feels like uh, some of the role-playing games we've we've played have kind of had have Call of Cthulhu as kind of its its progenitor. Is, is would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. Um, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and Warhammer Fan- especially Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition um, have taken a lot of uh, cues from Call of Cthulhu. There's tons of stuff. I mean, it is um, one of the older uh, RPGs out there. And uh, it's, I'm playing 7th edition right now, for heaven's sake. <laughs> uh, and truthfully, Call of Cthulhu um, 7th edition, well, all of the editions, they've been very minor increments over the years. They're really um, not a lot different. I mean, I, I think the first version of Call of Cthulhu I played was probably 3rd. I'm sorry, I don't have a great memory for these sort of things, but um, I mean, it was a long time ago. It was late 80s um, or early 90s. Um, and um, truthfully, the game, there's been changes. But overall, there's a lot of things that are the same. And this is the, this is the Call of Cthulhu that is uh, published by Chaosium, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I played, um, I must have played the sixth edition. That does That strikes me as insane because I, this was only like a super short campaign. And it was like the first year I was married, so this was like 22 years ago. That it must not have been sixth edition. It had to be a different one, right? Question. Um, probably <laughs> fifth. Yeah. Fifth, fifth was out for quite a while, if I remember. Okay. Truthfully, this is a game that that I I've always had on my shelf, um, but I rarely get it out because honestly, there's not a lot of people that that are interested, and I don't know why. You know, there's just I think there's maybe so, it's my group, but there's a lot of people that would rather kill monsters than be killed by them. Yeah, I I, I have spoiler alert. 
an explanation as to why um, there aren't enough people that are interested in this game, and that's because humanity is a cesspool that <laughs> does not oh appreciate God. the greater gifts that have been uh, given to us. <laughs> so well, that, that is that, a great Call of Cthulhu intro. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> people not wanting to play Call of, Call of Cthulhu is literally a manifestation that we are living in a Lovecraftian world. Is that what you're <laughs> saying, Jay? Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, one, one other game that's uh, pretty derivative of Call of Cthulhu that, that I've played a fair bit about is Dark Heresy, which is the you're playing an Inquisitor in the 40k universe, and and not not just the system feels pretty similar, but the setting feels pretty similar as well. Where you are a lot of times you're you're working for an Inquisitor, investigating things, um, and there's unspeakable terrors that. Uh, exist in the universe. Well, the funny thing is, is this game tackles a concept that is foreign to most role players, and that is that the players are insignificant and everything around them is inc- incredibly deadly. And um, and it still does it in a way that the players can affect the world, um, but they have to do it in such a careful way. And that's such a foreign concept to so many people in RPGs. That and it does it successfully. I want to I want to make sure that that's that's conveyed that it does it successfully. Where I've seen other games attempt it and and basically fail, um, and it feels like a lot of the games that want that similar feeling borrow a lot of the elements from Call of Cthulhu. You know, one of the elements that doesn't quite that a lot of games leave behind, and one of the harsher elements of Call of Cthulhu is the sanity system. Um, but it does such a great job of conveying the the theme. Yeah. Yeah. The psychological so, insignificance of us all. I have to ask real quick, Jay. I don't. I hope this isn't a derail. But so you one time ran. It was basically a one shot for us mm-hmm. that was sort of a modern Lovecraftian book. Why can't I think of the name of it? It uh, was called Trail of Cthulhu, and was it, it the Gumshoe system? It does use the Gumshoe system. It it does use the Chaosium license as well, I believe. Oh, it does. Um, yeah. Um, and it basically, one of the big differences with it is that, like, when you go to a scene, uh, and there's, like, an important clue related to the adventure, um, you're going to find that clue. And it, it's, you're not, there isn't, like, a, okay, I, I do my spot check, I flub it, and now we're screwed. Um, it's, the, the system works so that, you you're, you are going to get back back to at that location is okay. one of the bigger differences between the, the systems. Okay, so remind me. Here's the one other thing I'm curious about: how it's related or not. The esoterrorists. We also did a one shot of that one time. Um, Maybe it's similar because that, it's the Gumshoe system too. I thought it was just sort of a modern. Yeah, I can't remember uh, if that was Gumshoe or not. It was. I think it was also a Robin Laws. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was the author, I think, they shared authors, I think, which is why I got interested in it. Okay, okay. Um, so maybe let's dive in a little bit on, um, kind of the mechanics of the game and how it works. And, and I can maybe illustrate this with, uh, some examples. So, um, let's say that I'm an investigator and the, the keeper um, calls for a spot check. I would look at my character sheet 
and I'll have a percentile for my skill. And when I, um, let's say my spot is a 50, let's say it's a 60. That'll make it a little bit easier. Um, so when I do my spot roll, um, I'll roll a percentile dice and I'm looking to get under my percentile roll. The lower you get, the better. Um, and there's also degrees of success. So if you get, if my skill is a 60, if I get under half, um, that's a hard success. So if I got a 30 or lower, um, I'd have a hard success and extreme success, um, is, I think it's 20%. So, um, if I got a 12 or less, then that would be an extreme success. And the reason why this matters is because there, there might be, let's say, um, on this spot check, I might be, if I just get a normal success, it, it might be something that's super well hidden and that I need to get an extreme success in order to actually find this hidden item. Um, and so, uh, the, the core percentile system of the game is quite easy and intuitive in, in my opinion. Um, one area where it maybe gets a little bit more complex is, uh, when it gets to combat. Um, when you do combat, let's say I'm attacking Trevor, uh, Trevor will, um, have kind of a choice. He can either attack back or he can dodge as are kind of the two main options. Um, and so let's say that Trevor decides to attack back in this example. Uh, we do our rolls. Let's say that we both get a normal success. Um, in, in this example, the attacker would win the tie and I would deal damage to Trevor. Um, if he had instead decided to dodge and we both had a normal success, uh, then Trevor would have won that tie. The person dodging wins ties in the, in, in, uh, in combat. And so he wouldn't take any damage. Um, one further example, let's say that I'm attacking, I get a normal success, Trevor decides he's going to attack back, um, then if he gets a hard or an extreme success, then he would actually deal damage to me instead. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way that skill rolls work and the way that combat works. One thing that's, that's interesting that's fitting for this type of game or setting or whatever is it is um, there, there, you don't have levels, so it's not like you know I'm I'm a level ten vagabond. <laughs> uh, instead, anytime if you successfully use a skill roll, you will mark on your character sheet that you succeeded in using it, and then when you get to a, a major stopping point in the campaign, effectively like the end of a chapter or something like that, um, the there will be an, a progression phase or advancements phase called something similar to that um that the the keeper will call and so let's say that my again my spot is 60 i succeeded in doing a spot check during this adventure um i'll roll a percentile and this time i want to roll above that percentile and so if i roll a 60 to 100 uh that means that i'm going to, pro to progress that skill and then i'll roll a d10 and add that to my skill if i roll a, a seven my Spot skill is now at 67 going forward. And so, uh, one of the things that's cool about it is that, uh, if you, if you're really bad at a skill, uh, the odds that you're going to, uh, 
improve that skill during a progression phase are um, pretty good because you, you have such a wide range of what you could roll. But if you get to where you are a world-class person in a skill, let's say 70, 80, 90%, the odds that you're going to advance it during a progression phase aren't that, um, that great. But it's, I, I think it's kind of a cool or, or interesting way to take care of character progression without doing levels. Um, did you guys have any, any thoughts on, on any of like either the skills or advancing your skills or, or anything like that? So the, the skill mechanic that you've described, um, I don't know if it originated here or not. Um, I know it's been this way for a long time, um, but I do know that there's a lot of games that have borrowed this mechanic in one way or another from the game because of how well it works. Um, I will say that I have one minor complaint in that, and it's I don't know that it's necessarily a fault of the system as much as it is a fault of us as role players, uh, and that is that we frequently as um, GMs or DMs or keepers in this particular situation, um, we, we call for roles frequently in gameplay, and sometimes they're not even the appropriate role. They're just uh, the spot is a great example the one right. you gave is. You know, you know, GMs would like to just throw that out there to see, you know, what we can see. And as, you know, truthfully, we need to be a little more careful with it and just say, hey, this is what you see. Um, and unfortunately, you're still going to players going to come back and say, well, what, I'm going to look harder. Can I roll a spot check? <laughs> you know, right, it's, right. But but the problem is, is that if you have a character that says, you know, what, I want to get better at being a academic and I want to learn more of the occult and which is an appropriate path in this game. Um, but maybe the gameplay doesn't lend itself towards you being able to advance those things, and it gets really hard to find places to in inject it. And so, I don't know, you know, because in a normal game, let's say you earn some experience points, and you can spend those experience points however you want, you know, maybe you, you're always spending it on your time and your spare time on reading books and occult things to try to increase your knowledge, and that's where you want to get, but that skill's never rolled in the game. And I don't know, sometimes stymies the direction that you want right. the character to go. That's my only complaint about it. And like I said, I'm not even sure it's a fault of the system as much as it is who we are as RPGers. One of, one of the things that's been nice, so one of the things we will grade when I finish running this campaign is I'm currently running the adventure, the Massive Nire Love Fotep. And I've nice pronunciation. What, what, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Uh, I've been interested in this adventure for a long time, um, partially because, you know, I had read that it was considered kind of an all-time great role-playing game adventure. Um, and I, I got to the point where I was like kind of going crazy with, um, not doing any gaming during the pandemic. And so, you know, I bought the, the box set and the production value of it's amazing. Uh, it, in my opinion so far, uh, we've, we've done, we've completed the prelude chapter one and we're in chapter two. Um, and in my opinion, it deserves all the, the praises that it's receives. Um, but it's, one thing is one of the few adventures that's been reprinted multiple times and updated. Times. Yeah. Yeah. It has. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll, there's, I know that some of the things have been updated with it. Um, like it, it didn't have a prelude before this current slipcase. Edition and I think the prelude actually added quite a bit and so um, it's kind of interesting. Um, it's it's very well done in my opinion. Uh, but one of the things that's nice with it is that 
you know, it will it'll say like, you know, have have your characters make a mechanical role or have them make a natural world role, etc. Which, um, as someone who I, I'm honestly I'm my experience of actually running this system is somewhat limited and so having someone like kind of prompt me hey you should have them roll this other thing is is quite helpful mm, cool um real quick let's let's talk a little bit about the sanity system so really you, you kind of have spoiler alert you'll lose it <laughs> uh, you'll also gain it too that's one of the things that's been kind of interesting about this is um how how easy it is kind of to get sanity back as well um so i don't think that was always the case just fyi <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 um so your character has a sanity score and a health points score and your hit points are like 12 15 your sanity score can go up to 100 um and when you start your character you're going to have a randomly generated sanity score that will be in that percentile range um but you don't have a so for example when you if you start a wizard in D&D you have a max hit point score for your sandy score the max sandy score is 100 um and if you let's say i started at a, a 60 um it could progress up to 100 um the caveat with this is that so people don't start with a cthulhu mythos skill but as they do things in the game, whether reading books or you know doing different things that expose them to the Cthulhu mythos, um, that lowers their max sanity. <laughs> um, and so if, if I have 20 points of Cthulhu mythos skill, the max that my sanity can be at is 80. Um, the, another thing that's kind of interesting about it is... So let's let's see say that you like as an example uh, in the adventure that I ran last night they saw a, there there was a snake person who had a spell where uh, he was disguised as a, a grandmotherly old woman and he transformed into his uh, true form and seeing that caused a sanity roll and you're again trying to to roll a percentile underneath whatever your sandy score is and if you fail there's there's either a pass score or a fail score and it's a pass can be sometimes it's zero sometimes it is a reduced amount like a d3 or a d4 um and the fail could be something from like a single point to up to a d20 you know etc um Anytime you fail a uh, sanity check, you will you you basically are stunned for a round. Um, if you take five points of sanity loss in in one roll, then you gain a temporary insanity where you're uh, it could be you kind of black out or you know various things happen uh, for d10 hours and holy cow. Okay. <laughs> then, then if you let's say that you have uh, 60 sanity as your current score, if in one day you lose uh, 20% of your sanity points, uh, which would be 12 in this example, then you gain like kind of a permanent 
insanity, whether it's a phobia or, you know, some, some other thing. A mania, some sort of. Yes, uh huh. Um, and then if you, if your sanity points go down to zero, you are no longer a player character, you're an NPC who has gone incurably insane. <laughs> Uh, I love the setting so much. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a brief rundown of the Sandy system. It's it's obviously a very important part for you know, evoking the mood of this setting or this system. Um, Do you think? Don't you think also though that it, it's a it's a system that could kind of um, apply well in other settings? Do uh, you know what I mean? Like, does it have to be a horror-ish setting to to use Sanity to? To great effect. I guess why, what's the purpose of having a sanity score if it's in like a, a non-horror setting? Yeah, that's, that's a fair question. Uh, I, Cause I, I asked the question and I'm thinking to myself, like, what are you talking about, Wheeler? And I'm like, you know, I started thinking about, well, what if it was something in space? But like, then you would be playing something like Rogue Inquisitor or you would be playing like an aliens RPG, right, yeah, you know, yeah. like, um, Mothership or whatever that is clearly, um, Lovecraftian in its in its very nature. I, I think uh, that, that, that it, there are situations that it fits. Things like um, you know a very brutal uh, war situation. Um, you know something like trying to recreate World War One, for example. You, you could know? play it in like a dark fantasy too, where like the ma- you know the use of magic uh, sort of uh, tore at your sanity or something like that. I suppose. Sure. I mean it is. The, the use of sanity, um, while probably most effective here, I think can be used elsewhere. Um, you know, and these the core rules of of, of Call of Cthulhu um, are used other places. Um, the company Chaosium, 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 yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Chaosium has other games. Um, they have a right. fantasy game called ElfQuest that uses the same core. Um, in fact, I think they started there. But point point being is that you know the the rules, the core rules. The things that don't make it Call of Cthulhu, that just the core rules work elsewhere, and certainly the the um, uh, sanity part is being added on here because it fits appropriately. But you know, there's a there's a version of this, and I don't know if they've reprinted it, but it was uh, long ago. There was a a alternate setting called Delta Green. Um, I don't know if it's been reprinted or not. Isn't it kind of like Modern Army setting? Um, it would be more like X Files Special Forces sort of setting. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but it, it is modern. It's a secret agency known as Delta Green that goes out and fights or deals with these sorts of things. Um, also in a sort of an investigative manner. I mean, even in Delta Green, you're dealing with um, creatures that are far more powerful than what you know the average human can deal with. So. Right. Okay. Well, I want to make a comment, but I think I'll save it for degrading because I think it's related to. The design category quite a bit. Uh, uh, for those that haven't played this game, I have it just a little bit more. I'm sorry because I have not played Seven Edition. I will admit that, um, but I will. I'm going to tell a little anecdote from my very first time playing Call of Cthulhu, which was forever ago. And I've actually looked it up. I, I was wrong. It was Fourth Edition. Um, but uh, I remember very distinctly um, the keeper telling us all that we had to create two characters, and the game recommended that you create two characters at the get go. And I think it even I don't think it does that in seventh, but it certainly did that in fifth and probably sixth as well. Maybe. Um, anyway, the, the whole point being that you created multiple characters and you basically took the second character and kind of like just set them off to the side. <laughs> you know, for the for the inevitable moment 
where they were needed because your first character died or went insane. <laughs> or lost their mind, right? Yes. So anyway, I just I think that it's funny that, that this is one of the few games that basically says, hey, we know that this is deadly. We know you're probably going to go insane. That's intentional. You should probably be prepared. <laughs> it does. I Real quick, on the lethality of this game, um, like, you can pretty easily be killed in one shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, one of the games... I, I didn't play this because I couldn't convince people to do it, but there was a um, 3.0 uh, OGL uh, right. called Cthulhu game that was done by, um, oh, shoot, uh, I can't think of the name. But anyway, I couldn't get people to play the original Call of Cthulhu game, but I could get them to play the D&D-based game. Right. So, oh, okay. Um, it was done by Monty Cook. Um, so Monty right. Cook did a Call of Cthulhu RPG that was a D20-based game, and I actually played more of that um, than I did anything else. But the funny thing is, is in that game, to maintain the lethality, you never gained hit points as you leveled up. Mm. So oh, that is interesting. So even so, if you created a fighter class, you you and you had a, you know a a, a constitution of um, fifteen or whatever fourteen, you had twelve hit points, and you always had twelve hit points. And a shotgun, if I remember right, would do something like three d six. Yeah. So yeah. so the chance <laughs> of you getting one shot um, were, was high if you got hit by the shotgun, which was appropriate. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, your your other skills went up as you leveled up, but your hit points never did, if I remember. Um, and so we played that for a long time, and it was a lot of fun. We I played a very long campaign in the D20 version of Call of Duty, um, which, I mean, it's long out of print at this point. But point being is they maintained that same lethality. And I think that you just, you need to go into this realizing that this is going to be a game about horror um, and the Lovecraft worlds and know what that means. And if that's not your style of game, you should look somewhere else. Find something. Yeah, I mean, you should know that that's a feature, not a bug, right? Like, right. Uh, FYI, I also looked it up, and what I played was GURPS. Ah. <laughs> it was a GURPS version, but yeah, I do think that my keeper, GM, whatever, had like 5th edition books. Of sure. Um, okay. I mean, Chaosium is made basically crossovers for this stuff right. lots of places yeah so all right well let's dive into uh grading so first category first category design. is design um obviously this is a well-refined system i mean they've been refining the rules for um close to f i mean the, the seventh edition came out in 2015 so um at that point close to 35 years um we're, we're closing on 40 years of Call of Cthulhu at this point, and um, it's it's it shows there is polish in here that just does not happen overnight. It it feels a lot to me like um, driving a BMW car that like they've obviously been making incremental improvements in their design for you know decades. Yeah, and and. And that's that's just the point that you're at at, at that point. Well, it, it, it's important to note that mo in most uh, most RPGs development cycle, they're still in the uh, we're the high end day of RPGs. I mean, they, they they clearly have a good product, but they haven't refined it. Yet. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I guess maybe I should 
you know, say if you own a Hyundai, hey, I'm, I'm glad you enjoy it or whatever. I'm not trying to make any point. But in our analogy here, you know, most games never make it to the second or third editions. They become, they come out a little raw, um, you know, and we're talking about a seventh edition game here. So, and I will say, um, just looking at the books, they're very well bound. Um, they did a good job. They didn't really spare any expense. The, the paper's heavy. Um, the print is clear. Uh, the art is appropriate. Um, the books are pretty amazing. So I'm going to give a nine. Um, and the, the only reason I'm maybe not going to give a 10 is that there's, there's a few points where, like, I, I understand why they do it because, um, it fits the setting or whatever, but like, there's, there's this part in combat where it talks about like shooting a Tommy gun at, Tommy gun at full auto, et cetera. And, and like the amount of rules that are, um, focused on this thing is kind of greater than is actually needed for, um, for that event. <laughs> um, and so there's, there's some cases where, the rules are maybe a little bit fiddly or a little bit, um, deeper than they, than, they're not necessarily, uh, streamlined in some cases, which again isn't necessarily bad. It's just what they opted to go with. Well, you know, the flip side of having a game that's on seventh edition is that there are some ideas here that are frankly 40 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so could they be updated? Yes, absolutely. Should they be? I don't know. I mean, there's you have an, a pretty big fan base at this point who love it the way it is. But if you're coming into it and your first edition is going to be seventh edition, you should just be aware that maybe it doesn't portray the most advanced design elements and ideas in the RPG industry. I will say that it has an index, which is um, like that should be like an auto ten for me. Yeah, that that should get <laughs> plus five to any any grade for an RPG. Um, and it's actually uh, a pretty decent one. Um, in fact, it is. Um, it, it's it's good. I'll just leave it at that. It's not the not the best I've ever seen, but certainly um, I have many RPGs on my shelf that don't even have an index. So, <laughs> uh, any of you guys have any comments on design before we move on? So yeah, I, the thing I want to add to design is like I want to. I need to find and follow their art director. Because I just think, I think the art on their books, like, nine, 90% of the time is so evocative, like, just awesome to look at. So I'm looking at, like, I'm looking at the arts, the art on the slipcase set that you're playing specifically, Jay. But mm. even as I look back through older stuff and uh, other adventures, I'm like, man, this stuff is just awesome looking. Well, and, and, you know, as someone who, um, my first introduction to, Lovecraft was a, a compilation book that I started reading, and I had no preconceived ideas of what some of this stuff was. Okay. And, and Lovecraft's descriptions of some of the monsters um, didn't always like. I would read that, go back and read it again, and then yeah, read you have it to again. do a sanity check to read the description. Right, and I still didn't understand what the hell he was saying. <laughs> and so you have to go and like. And then, and then the funny thing is, is that most of these monsters, the well-known ones, have all been translated into art multiple times. So somebody else has made that sanity check, translated it, and put it out there. And and the art that's in these books is just the amount of things that are in here. 
um, that you wouldn't have necessarily understood what they look like, but are clearly drawn for you. I mean, uh, again, you know, if I'm going to get uh, cliche, a picture tells a thousand words. Well, the pictures in here do. I just went to Chaosium's website. I think I'm going to buy the coloring book. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) Okay, so... On to time management. Um, so, uh, Trevor, I guess, what's, what is, uh, how do you define this for an RPG? Is it, um... Well, I think that the biggest thing about an RPG for time management is how much time do you spend playing and how much time do you spend doing menial things. So, for me, one of the biggest issues I had with 3.5, um, D&D, and one that I feel like was better in 2nd edition and also better in 5th edition now is the amount of time that you spend in combat. Um, one of the worst games I ever played for this was, um, I think it was 1st edition, or maybe 2nd edition, um, and it's still kind of this way to this day, Shadowrun. You know, it, back then there would be, you would go down the tenths of a second, and it would be, you know, the, the Street Samurai's turn at point two, and then, you know, the other Street Samurai's turn at point three, and, mm-hmm. and by the time your, your, Technomancer got his opportunity to go. He was already dead. But that was <laughs> that was four hours later. You know, in real time, you spent four hours playing out one second of in-game combat, and you never got to go. I mean, that's that is the epitome of poor time management for an RPG. And I don't want to I don't want to just point towards um, combat because there are other situations where I feel like you can get bogged down in the minutia of the game. And sometimes it's fun. And then when it's fun, then your time management spent well. But I feel like any time you spend too much time trying to review the book or reference the book or um, or, or the mechanics of resolving something. Um, I'll give another good example. Um, in the game Aces and Eights, there was this... It was optional, I'll admit that. But there was a system where you would roll a d20 and then you would pull a poker card out of the deck. And then you would use um, a... A silhouette of the person you were shooting at, and you would put an overlay over the target. And this, this <laughs> clear overlay had a had a um, had a reticle on it that, that moved out. So if you if you pulled an ace, it automatically hit because it was the center of the reticle wherever you were targeting. Um, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly how all these played out, but as you got farther down the row, if you pulled a two, you were so far from the center of the reticle that you missed, you know, or whatever. But the truth was is that the roll plus the card determined where the hit was. It was just way more complex than you needed. I mean, truthfully, I, you know, it's kind of cool to be able to shoot the guy's gun out of the hand, but why can't I just say, let's add 10 to the roll and make it that much harder? Do I roll it? Yep, okay, the gun shot out of his hand. You know what I mean? So I guess uh, hopefully that explains what time management means to me for an RPG. And some of that goes through on character creation and other things like that. You know, how quickly can we complete this? and get to playing, or how fun is it during that part of it? Is it time well spent? And I, I guess my impression with it, in this game in particular, is that almost all the time is actually playing the game. There's very little that's involved with, like, minutia. Uh, and combat, partially because it is pretty lethal, <laughs> tends, <laughs> to be, tends to be pretty fast. Yeah, um, if, if if combat has gone on to round three or four, there's some problems for the, the party. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, 
time management, I'll probably say an eight. Um, any any comments for you guys on on this category? I always feel incapable of giving a fair time management score to an RPG because uh, I personally fail at the first step, <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is allocating time. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. I, I kind of agree with Jay. I think that this does a really good job. It feels like the, the things that are the most fun to me in RPGs, which is investigating, searching, finding new clues, um, they are Talking well laid out. with NPCs, you know, right. et cetera. Yeah, they're well laid out in this RPG, and there's plenty of um, company-created modules to help that for those of us who don't have enough time to write them on our own. Like, that's the sort of stuff that we play the game for, um, and uh, they do a good job of making sure that it's always relevant and interesting. Now, obviously, that it takes some of the rest of the party to make sure that always happens, but this just does a great job of, of lending all of that because, you know, you can't spend all of your time in combat in this game. Uh, you're just going to be picking up that second character that you made every time and having to make it that third or the fourth character. It just doesn't work. Okay, so next we have repeatability. Um... So, the adventure I'm running, I, I think someone I read who had, had run through it, they said that it took them 22 sessions to play through the adventure I'm doing right now, um, which is which is a pretty good campaign length, in, in my opinion. Um, I, I feel confident that my, my play group will end up lasting through playing the entire campaign or adventure, um, which is, I guess, another testament. Uh, to to it um if if i i guess if there's on the spectrum of um i've seen D D campaigns that are like multi-year or you you finish a long campaign and immediately start jump into a new D D campaign on one end of the repeatability spectrum and um, on the other end have you know kids on bikes or uh, more one-shot type uh, rpgs um I, I I don't think that this is necessarily in, in either extreme. There's going to be some people who who just don't want to play horror that that much or have their character die that often. <laughs> well, your 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 brother is one of them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. We've tried multiple times to convince him to play a game of Call of Cthulhu, and he's just flat out refused. Which I actually think that um, it, there's a little bit of a like my 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 character. There, there's a, there's a stigma there that he. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, like in the campaign, if that I'm running, at least so far, um, there really hasn't been much of a threat of, of them going insane. Um, there, there have been physical things that I, we haven't had anyone die either. Um, but um, this, 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 this does have some player preference, um, what the repeatability is, but it's, for me, it's one that, I could play a long campaign of, and like I could be a player in this, and then be like, okay, that that was great. Let's okay, let's let's move on and play a murder on the Orient Express, you know, or whatever. Yeah, the 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 length of a character's life. You know, I, I will say that in the games that I I've ran for this, um, I tried to not make it too um, deadly in that I gave the players ample opportunity to back out of a situation that they got themselves into and realized that they were in too deep. You know, I didn't I didn't throw the gauntlet down when when they were 
you know, in a bad situation and say, yeah, well, you made these choices, you know, tough. Now you're going to pay for those, con you know, consequences or whatever. But I always made them have consequences. At the end of the game, there was, um, you know, one character had lost a limb and another character lost an eye. And some of them had some pretty debilitating mental ailments, et cetera, and those sorts of things, they happen. And I think that there's importance to have consequences, but I think you choose how deadly or um, insanity-inducing the game can be. And generally, the, 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 the Chaosium doesn't want you to have an experience where you don't get to finish the campaign. Right. You know, the campaigns, the official campaigns, as long as you aren't foolish you're going to be able to make it through them. I mean, there's clearly times when you need to run. They're, they also tend to have backup characters that are options for you to play, um, like NPCs, basically, that transition into becoming a player Players. character. Right. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, and what I, I should have said this earlier, but another variant or option that they have with it is uh, called, basically, Pulp Call of Cthulhu, where... You are you so know, basically Fantasy Flight, uh, Arkham Horror, the board game in RPG form. Um, yeah, I mean you you it's it's a lot more pulpy experience. So um, you're you're less prone to die. The, the creatures are going to be doing even more awful things, but you know, etc. Well, if you're evoking the feeling of of the Cthulhu mythos, anyway, most of the encounters you have are against other humans. Really, it's that right. you don't see the really obscure, um, really powerful things very often. Um, you know, they are, it is the equivalent of a, um, it's like a high fantasy world where all you ever see is low fantasy. You right. know, all you ever see is the simple spells, the simple things. You know, the bigger things exist, but you don't see them very often. And that's, that helps evoke the feeling of, of the setting too. So. A repeatability for me, I'll go ahead and put a seven. But I, I think I'm probably higher than most people. I'm not sure you are. I mean, truthfully, um, some of the longest campaigns I've played, while maybe not of this rule set, are still within this game's sphere of influence. Right, yeah, yeah. One of the I was going to say, Jay, you're, you're probably not higher than most fans of this style of game. No, that's yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that the the... Um, the D20 version of Call of Cthulhu that I played, um, and I don't, as far as we're considering, I realize it's a different rule set, but, but what we're considering for replayability and how long a campaign can go, um, that was, is similar enough that I feel like it's irrelevant. The, I played that campaign longer than, gosh, it's probably in my top three or four campaigns that we played. It just, it worked well. We always, mm. we, we enjoyed it. The fun was always there. We just kept coming back to it. It was easy for me to provide more material. Um, you know, it's one of those things that just works well, and there's plenty of opportunity in the material that they provided for you to create more. So um, I, I think it is the type of game that does lend itself well because you don't the the skill system we talked about clearly characters get better, but characters don't necessarily get to the point where you do in D and D where you cannot play a 20th level character with a fifth level character. It just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. You you don't ever get to that situation in Call of Cthulhu. If somebody wants to join in, you can bring them into the group. They can create a new character, and they can be relevant right away. Right. Um. And the the threats that threaten the experienced character still threaten you. And some of the skills you have work, and some of the skills they have don't. 
you know, it, it does work very well for a long campaign, and I, I, I do enjoy that. So I, I think that seven is is a good rating, maybe even higher. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I, I mean, <laughs> I could a twenty-two session campaign has is pretty good repeatability, and I could easily see myself being like, okay, that's great. Let's let's do that again. <laughs> so, uh, fun. This is going to be a ten for me. This is basically exactly the type of role-playing game that I want to play, um, where it is lethal. It is about talking to people, about investigating things, about, you know, just every, all of this rolling together is exactly the type of role-playing game that I want to play. It's, it's also, for what it's worth, um, it's, it's been a fun system and setting, etc. campaign, uh, to run as well, which, um, is, which is good because there, there's definitely uh, some, some systems where, you know, it's just not that fun to run the game. Oh gosh. Uh, you know, playing, I, I admire all the people who have long campaigns of 3.5 D and D, but I could never, we never really got one that went long because, especially because I ran a lot of those games and truthfully, a lot of those games, it, it, it broke down to managing a, uh, initiative list and keeping track of monster hit points and abilities. And it just, as a GM, uh, it got old. Yeah. Uh, any of you guys have comments on fun? Um, I agree that this game is a lot of fun. That this game uh, is one of the few games that I feel like can evoke the the spirit of fear or terror, and not in a real visceral way, but in a RPG way. Like I've never been afraid in a and d game. I've never felt like we should run away from something. I mean, we have before in d d But truthfully, most of the time in D&D, we came back with a plan and kicked its ass. You know what I mean? But in, in Call of Cthulhu, there's times when you can't do that. You can't come back with a plan. You just got to run, because you, if you don't, you're going to be going to die. <laughs> and and I just, I, I don't know. There was There's so many times when I'm like, I'm like, we got to go. This is a problem, you know. And I and, and it's at running it is one of the few times I've ever had a player character um, be visibly disgusted. They, in one of the adventures we played, they were looking for somebody. Um, they found them, but they found them the wrong way they were, and they had been mutilated and, and, and basically put in a box. And um, the, the 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 pre-made RPG had a picture of this, and it was. Uh. It was done art, very art style. It was not very realistic. But when I showed them the picture, it was enough to make, you know, the, the dry heave look from one of um, the people at the table. <laughs> and and that is, doesn't happen very often in RPG, to yeah. have that sort of reaction, that sort of feeling about, because the character was somebody they knew and they mm-hmm. had worked with. And so it was very, it evoked feelings that, that um, you don't get often in just a simple tabletop game. And that's strong. It's, it it makes for memorable uh, stories and events. And, um, so yeah, I I think that this is one of the best RPGs out there. I just wish that I could somehow get more people to play it. With. So overall, um, I'll give a nine. Um, there, it is an older game that's that's been refined, and like Trevor said, there are are some things where it maybe shows its age a little bit, but uh, overall, it's it's just a really well done product. I haven't played 7th edition, so I'm not going to really give a grade. Um, but I know 
I, I've read through the books a little bit. I'm, a, I'm and I've played previous versions, and I, I feel like that this game has has is the flagship for horror RPGs, and it's got that moniker for a reason. I think that's fair. Um, audience, I think it does help a little bit if you're at least a little bit familiar with the Cthulhu mythos. Um, I do think that there's a lot of mature themes here, so I don't know that this is something that I'll be running for my um, 14 and 12 year olds. Okay, um, here here's a loaded question: Would you play this with um, power gamers? Um, you know, I don't know how well it would work. Um, I'm a power gamer and I play it. I still, you know, I still choose the shotgun. I still know what what kills things. But I guess what's, what would be the issue of playing it uh, with a power gamer? I think that a power gamer would probably try to push through on some of the combats and probably get killed. Um, but I think if you if you lay the groundwork, you let them know, hey, this is a deadly system. If you go in whole hog, you may get killed. And just give the you know, make it clear up front. FYI, this is what's going to happen. And then maybe when that power gamer tries to do those things, you give them the warning. And if they take the heed and say, okay, I won't, you know, I'll run away this time, then they're clearly set out for this game. And if they go in and get killed and they're okay with that and they make their next character and move in again, you know, then that's okay too. If they get killed and they, get, you know, say this game is BS and they throw their paper on the floor and flip the table, um, yeah. The well, then you were, okay, you were going to have that issue with in, in almost any game system, right? Oh, uh, yes, but those gamers can play D&D all day just fine because their character is yeah. never going to die. Right. Right, but, but they they play the same way. If they approach the encounter the same way in Call of Cthulhu, they will die. It is it's not a win. It is it is it's it is a certainty, and almost in the first combat maybe. <laughs> so I, I guess a power gamer doesn't have to be dumb. You know, they they can they can still play smart. So I would say yes, you can still play with a power gamer. They just need to be aware of what they're playing. I think one of the one one of the things you need to kind of uh, watch out for with a, a power gamer uh, in this is kind of if if you're the keeper trying to kind of enforce like player knowledge versus character knowledge um, like there's some things that you're that you if you're familiar with the Cthulhu mythos or if you're a power gamer or whatever you may or may not do that your character has no idea about. And, and and that's kind of true in in lots of systems like you know you're you may know stuff about a beholder that your player doesn't etc and so right you know that's it's something that comes up in a lot of role playing systems um last one uh, no go or no go i think this is a go for all of us yeah. um, i can't see you know josh may or may not ever have an opportunity to play uh but i mean he is the most most uh, Cthulhu person in the group, right? <laughs> yes, yes. What does Jay call me? Agent of Chaos, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the, the core feeling that the game goes for, which is combat is deadly, go find all the clues, try to avoid combat when you can, but you know if you have to, you can get down and dirty, is that describes... <laughs> A big portion of the games that I really love that are RPGs. I mean, um, from Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay to to um, you know some of the um, 
styles of vampire that I like to play and other things like that. I even like those games when D&D feels that way. It doesn't feel that way very often. But if you can evoke that feeling, that's what I want to go for. Because let's, let's not spend time killing things until we absolutely have to, but let's you know spend a lot of time trying to piece together clues. Right. All right. Well, check out this game. It's awesome. And in my opinion, you will not be disappointed.